I'm Abhijat Sarasworth, and this is Fringe Legal, a collection of conversations with innovators on how to put ideas into practice. Each episode is a discussion with a changemaker who shares their ideas, insights, and lessons from their journey. This week marked the launch of Fringe Legal 2.0. Don't worry, the podcast isn't going anywhere. Fringe Legal, though, will become a lot more intentional and focused. And I'll start with the newsletter. If you enjoy this podcast and you will love the newsletter, make sure you are subscribed by visiting fringelegal.com. Now, onto the show. Technology is a frequent topic of conversation. It comes up almost every single episode. And while it's fun to talk about amazing new tools or features, ultimately, you have to tie the tech back to the business strategy. I know, it's easy to say, really difficult to execute. It's harder still when tracking and working with emerging technology, where there may not yet be a baseline for success. We tackle those points and so much more in the episode today. I'm delighted to introduce Lee Snyder as our guest. Lee is the legal process engineer manager in the Incubator team at Baker Hostetler. In her role, Lee champions the development and deployment of innovative technologies and processes to help the firm and its clients and create a competitive advantage. With a focus on artificial intelligence and automation, she engages in deep analysis of people, process, and technology to build trust, manage change, and drive process adoption. Lee has over 17 years of legal industry experience and has earned dozens of awards for excellence in her career, including an award for change leadership. Now, without further ado, here is my conversation with Lee Snyder. Hi, Lee. Welcome to Fringe Legal. So good to have you on. Thanks so much, Ayab. Happy to be here. I've been looking forward to this conversation. I read your article, which I shared as part of the newsletter, and it was full of highlights. So I'm excited to get into some of the, the points in there, many of which I agreed with, some I didn't. I'm sure we'll have a good conversation. But before we dig into that, people heard that you're part of the Incubator team, the emerging technologies team there. What does that mean? Tell us a bit more about what that is. Uh, what is Incubator and what do you do as part of the emerging technologies team? Absolutely. So Incubator is a dedicated, funded team within a large traditional top 100 law firm. Our role when I started in 2018 was very much focused on improving the practice of law for our attorneys. And to that end, I was focused on AI and automation solutions. I'd say I spent a good deal of my initial time with Incubator looking at the solutions to understand what makes different from each other such that we'd be able to understand what is a true best fit for our attorneys and advise client. The client piece has become increasingly important. And at this point, I would say 80% of my time is client facing, helping to redesign and reimagine what is possible for corporate counsel that we work with. That's really exciting. I think some of those items I'm sure will come into play as we go through it. I assume as part of that, that you're exposed to a whole host of different technologies and just focused on 
identifying what some of the problems that exist and how to best solve them. That's correct. We have our own internal database that has over 500 emerging technology companies at various levels of maturity. And we're actually watching for things like funding. We're watching for adoption. We want to make sure that we understand how the solutions are being used and where they're being used, not just their evolution, that they've purchased another solution that they're going to be integrating with, or that they've developed a new module, because we think that's all part of the larger picture of the health of the vendor and the trajectory of the vendor. So we take a lot of pride in working with our research teams to make sure that we are proactively watching the market in that way and determining the trends. But I'll tell you, every client has a different technical infrastructure and different needs that they're hoping to fulfill with projects. So what that means to us is the first step is deeply understanding requirements. Not just what do you wanna get out of this and what do you want it to cost, but very specifically, what has to go right in order for you to gain efficiency in a particular workflow? What about your peer that sits two doors down and does something entirely different And how does that mesh together with security and technical requirements as well? So once we have all of the requirements, we'll do a deep dive on the particular vendors that may match those requirements and a full analysis to determine who the clients should be looking at. We do not, and I think that this is an important component of Incubaker, really partner with any vendors. So we're completely vendor agnostic. While we embrace the relationships with vendors and have many ongoing and strong relationships with vendors, we're not getting any kind of incentive or kickback. We want to remain in that space where we're not pushing a product. We're solving a problem. Yeah. And I think that's, that's super important. This is probably a good segue into your article because that touched on some of these points as well. Before we do that, just a really quick question and we'll touch on trends uh, right at the end. But so these 500 or so companies that you have, they're all targeting the legal market or these companies generally that you feel your clients will benefit from? Now, are you surprised that yes, they are targeting the legal market? Wow, that's crazy. Um, I know there's more than 500 companies out there that do this, but yeah, it's great to see that you have such a broad scope uh, in what you're looking at. So yeah, it, it runs the gamut. So everything from things you hear about quite a bit, like contract analytics or mm. contract lifecycle management to uh, knowledge management, research, IP solutions, litigation specific mm. solutions. We are really looking at all different types of solutions in that 500. And so it actually adds up very quickly (laughs) with the boom that we've had in the market since about 2016. Yeah, for sure. And I've written previously about how much investment there has been. There continues to be more and more investment in the market on these things. Absolutely. Very good. Yeah, let's talk about one, one of the points that you wrote in the article was around the need to have conversations about technology with purpose, right? So the conversations about technology should be between the business leaders, stakeholders, technologists, and others. And it should really be all 
focusing back on what do we want to achieve as a business, whether that's the business of a law firm or something else entirely. That makes sense. I agree with that. But how do you make that happen? Easy to say, hard to do. It, It is hard to do. And that's the important component because it's hard. A lot of folks skip that step. And that would be like throwing Karate Kid into the ring for his fight with equipment that he's never used before and skills that he's never actually tried out. You don't go to the competition unseasoned, untested, and unaware of what's about to happen to you. So the same analogy applies with technology. Many times clients will tell us that they purchase something and it's not being utilized. It's not being utilized because you probably didn't purchase the right thing or help folks understand how to use it. Maybe it worked well for a couple of people that advocated the investment, but not everyone. And so then you get siloed pockets of technology that are not integrated to the business and the users end up unhappy with that investment. The reason is they didn't do the homework. They didn't put in the work. The need is really to understand what the business initiatives are that you need to connect to. If the broader industry or business that you're working with has certain pain points that are related to your workflow and you don't solve those, chances are they're going to be knocking at your door telling you you need to figure out how to solve their challenges. And that might mean you're adopting something else and piecemealing it in with what you've already invested in, or you have to turn around and do a rip and replace to serve the ultimate clients within the business. So I think adaptation via Technology adoption is really key to business survival. And we've seen that more and more since the advent of COVID. This needs to be a purposeful, strategic approach to investment. And that's going to mean that you're talking to all the key stakeholders that are going to be impacted, that you're really mapping out where the synergies are and how that aligns to the right technology. And in that way, you can ensure that the business strategy and the business reality come together and you have a worthy investment, um, not shelf. How do you train that muscle? And I'm just going to go deeper with your analogy, right? So as you're preparing, you don't want to show up unprepared for a fight. So you have to put in the reps, you have to train for it. And how do you ensure that you have a system in place that checks whether as you're making a decision, so ideally you want to identify all of these things before the decision is made, right? So you want to make sure that, okay, have we done a due diligence to know that this is actually a problem that we're solving? Have we done our due diligence that this is the right thing that we want to buy that from a technical point of view, this makes sense for us as a business? I I think part of the reason this becomes a problem is when push comes to shove, people go with what's comfortable, which is let's just get it done. And that's important. Uh, Of course, you have to make progress, but I think that's where having checklists and systems come in place. So I don't know if you have examples where you've worked through this or you've seen people particularly masterfully navigate this and just making sure they're asking the right questions at the right stage. Yes. So I have a background in consulting and change leadership. And and so I've seen this masterfully done many times. Mm -hmm. What tends to happen if 
folks are given the uh, mission to go and adopt technology or improve a problem is that they start with vendors and they start looking at what solutions are out there. That's really dangerous. What they need to start with, what they should start with is um, analogous to any good sales cycle. You start with what are the business objectives? What is the you know, goal for the next 12 months look like across the business and where is leadership taking things? And then how does this initiative fit in? Who are the key stakeholders? And purposefully, you go out and you talk to the folks that will be actual users as well as folks that will be decision makers in the process and gather that information in a very visible way and share it back with the greater group so they understand what that big picture looks like. Because oftentimes these teams or, or roles are working in silos. One of the key pieces though, is to marry it back to IT. Great if you can go buy a solution, but I've seen it happen way too many times that you show up to talk to IT and they say, okay, but we cannot dedicate resources to implement that solution for another three months. <laughs> you have to go through some steps that you didn't take here yep. to, to exactly. check our boxes as well. Having that structure and really process that brings a team together communicating about what the right thing will look like before you actually go and start just shopping is so important. And I'm sure there's many folks that have gone out thinking they need something and they end up wandering uh, stores trying to, or I guess now we would say they're wandering Amazon trying to figure out what's going to be the best option looking at reviews. But what they probably haven't done is sit down and say, what should the right thing look like for me and for the situation that I'm going to be using this item in? Uh, and define that out because it makes it a lot easier to get rid of things that are definitely not a match and be able to hone in from there on what feels like a right fit for all of the key parties that are going to need to adopt that technology. It also gives you the tech investment. You're already part of the process. If I come to you and say, yeah, you told me that you are interested in an integrated workflow that ties back to the business solution so that sales can self-serve. Here is that option. You're not going to say, I don't like it. Nine times out of 10, you're going to say, yes, that's what I want yeah. because it is already matching your requirements. And so you save a lot of time on the back end of the process by doing the work up front. Yeah. And if I riff off your Amazon analogy, I think it's the same thing where you have to go on Amazon and you have to put in a search. You're not really going there and just browsing by categories. They exist, but most people don't do that. And you need to be, once you've done that, you need to be able to filter, not just by reviews or any, any other one metric. You need to figure out, okay, does this thing do what I need it to do? And I think from a vendor perspective as well, it's helpful. So even if you are speaking to the vendors and whichever technology partner you've chosen, I can tell you they will be immensely grateful if you're able to tell them what you're looking to achieve because 
they can help you and actually let you know whether they can or can't do that. Because otherwise, there's a lot of time spent on something that later on turns turns out to be not fit for purpose because you didn't have the right requirements set at the beginning. And I guess at the beginning, you talked about Incubator being vendor agnostic. How do you work with your vendors? I'm assuming, because at least to me, I'm biased, of course, because my day job is working at a legal technology vendor. But to me, vendors are domain experts, right? They are keeping a pulse of what's happening in the industry with whatever the niche or area they're serving. How do you leverage them? How do you work with them in making sure that you're staying up to date with what's happening in the market and, and what's happening with them and their products? That's a great question. And a couple of things that I'll touch on here. First, when it comes to working with them around a specific opportunity, I try to be very candid what the must-have requirements are. Typically, we'll already have those vetted and we can provide the list. So they can self-select, yes, we're going to meet your requirements or no, there's some areas that we're going to be maybe weaker than some of our competitors. And I find that if I'm very honest with them about what I need, they are equally grateful for that and honest with me about probably not the right opportunity to proceed with and spend time on if they're not a match. So that, that I think is critically important that you just upfront and you actually know, as opposed to going to a vendor and wasting their time with, tell me what your product can do. They're not going to appreciate that. And I think that's really part of why in the, in many industries, sales development representatives that take those first line calls have become so popular because they can try to flush out what's, what's really a worthy conversation for that specific product. Secondly, though, I think that vendor relationships are something that need to be maintained. So once you have a contact in relation to a particular product, we do try to keep a hold of the names and connect back. We make sure that the vendors know there may not be an opportunity immediately, but I'm going to keep your information because something could come up next week or in two years where you are a match. Everyone has a different, every client has a different set of needs. And so while a solution may not be a fit for client A, they can definitely be a perfect fit for client B. And we never dismiss that vendor relationship. We just try to give as much candid feedback about why they might not be a match for a particular opportunity and where we think that they have improvement opportunities. So previously we were talking about kind of the upfront process of understanding requirements. But once you narrow in on solutions to take a look at, the next step is really thoroughly vetting those through user acceptance testing or some other controlled analysis process where you can measure and confirm, yes, I'm going to have an efficiency benefit. Uh, Yes, I'm going to have a cost benefit ROI at the end of the day that I can report back to the business. And when you're going through that, you're going to find things, no matter how good the vendor is, that need improvement. And so sharing that information back to the vendors so they can keep improving their product and they can understand that user feedback is also critical. And it shows our good faith that even if they're not selected, we are trying to help make a positive difference for the time that they've spent supporting and and engaging in that potential opportunity. 
Yeah. Well, let me throw a curveball at you then. How does that work with emerging technologies? And I'm thinking those that are in startup stages and they're just starting to find a product market fit because for established technologies, there are that slew of data points. There are those references and they can give you the use cases. They can tell you a lot of that as you're focusing on emerging technologies. And it doesn't have to be that they're a startup, that it's just a new market, new product to the market. How do you work through some of that, those items? Because that's a challenge, right? When someone says, hey, who can we speak to? We don't know. We have a bunch of people <laughs> trying this, but they're in the trial stage or we have early adopters. And especially for law firms, that's, a, that's an uncomfortable position, generally speaking. How do, what kinds of data points are you looking for something that is a new product, either to the market or to, well, to what you are looked at? Yeah, uh, excellent question. And I, I think that one of the benefits of Incubaker is we're a blend of recovering attorneys and other technologists. So we do have a senior data science manager and data analyst within the greater team, as well as developers that have worked with blockchain and other technologies. So typically in that situation, we would invite the vendor to come in and show what they're capable of, give us their use cases and their, you know, their demo and talking points to the broader group. Because between all of the experience in their room that are looking at things from different angles, we can get a good sense of whether it is a solution that we want to move forward and try ourselves. If we cannot get you to tell us what the efficiency is or how folks have used it and whether it's a success, we are not afraid to say, how can we partner with you in a POC if we're interested in what we see after a multifaceted review by folks that have the different technical and legal backgrounds. So we will do it ourselves is the answer and we'll provide back the information to the vendor on whether we feel like it was a success and we want to move forward or where those stumbling blocks are. Not afraid to do that at all. And I think that's one of the benefits of being a dedicated and funded team because we're not required to focus all of our time on clients. Essentially, Incubator is about how do you augment the practice of law for future and the ability to partner with vendors and invest time comes about because we are dedicated and funded. So we're not chasing particular requirements that pull us away from the ability to be those reliable experts. And it's important that we take the time to really understand the technology before we work with our attorneys or our clients, because as you alluded to, there's a trust gap. So attorneys tend to be skeptical and they're not typically early adopters, although that's a generalization. So if we can come to the attorney saying, we've tested this and here's our findings, we'd like you to validate that. And we think it could help you in these specific ways because there are clients or attorneys within our firm that we are working with, there's already a level of trust in us and the process. And so as you're able to create the reasons why an attorney should invest the time and trust the technology and believe in the benefits, you just build that synergy 
towards ultimately delivering a solution that is a great fit and a great benefit to the workflow of the attorney or the client. Yeah, I think that's a great summary. And one of the one of the takeaways from just listening to that, it, it sounds like because Incubator has been established for a few years now, you've also gained the trust of your end users in delivering wins, right? Whether they're quick wins or they're more substantial ones. So they are more likely to trust you when you tell them that you've done the due diligence because you've proven it time and time again. And as I look to extrapolate what you've said for others, whether they have a specialist unit or otherwise, I think that's a key thing. You have to just get into the habit of shipping something and delivering wins. So people are like, look, that's fine. And it can be something minor. It doesn't have to be a huge rollout each time. And then actually setting expectations that we do know what we're talking about. We have a process we go through. Here is the data. Here is what we found. And then coming to them with, as you said, a very focused question to validate your findings. I think those are great learnings that anyone can apply, actually, if they're in an innovation role or looking at technology. And that's really how our client-facing work has grown organically. We were able to help our attorneys, and that was our early mission. And they said, oh, can you also help this GC team? My client has a need. And ultimately now, a, a large percent of my time in particular, although that's not true across the whole team, is focused on those client initiatives and doing the same thing for our clients that we've done for our attorneys. It does require a strong vendor relationship to successfully complete a project. You're going to have hurdles. You're going to run into challenges, right? So watching out for any red flags along the way, staying in touch with not just your vendor contact, but what is happening with the vendor as a whole. So maybe that's looking at news and making sure that you're monitoring any news in relation to that particular vendor partner. Maybe that's going through regular business reviews and investing the time to not just listen to what the vendor is scripted to tell you, but to, to dig deep into questions about their business trajectory. Where do they think they're headed? Where are they investing? And understand whether that's going to continue to be a fit with your business. Because so many times clients will invest in something and say, great, we're done. Well, not if you want to keep pace with your competitors, because soon the next new thing is going to come along that creates a better result. And if you're not aware of that, or if you're not paying attention to the market, it could be that you're creating a competitive disadvantage for yourself as a result. To being conscious of time, I wanted to switch gears a little bit. So one of the things I've started to ask our guests is looking ahead a little bit and to what the law firm landscape may look like. So I guess a couple of things. One, as you think about a successful firm or a department, what do you think is the secret source that makes them successful? I do think that technology is a key component these days to the success of a law firm. And, and I cannot underscore that enough. 
but you cannot simply introduce technology. We've already talked about how that ends up creating situations where there's shelfware and lack of continuity across the business. So what it really comes down to, in my opinion, is excellent people skills, excellent people leadership and engagement so that you can find who's going to support your trial of a new technology. Who are those early adopters that will be willing to collaborate? Who is going to help evangelize the hard changes that maybe need to happen in order to keep the business successful or the firm successful and support that greater plan? And who's going to create that clear plan for engagement and understand how all the needs knit together? So if the firm has an integrated focus on people leadership and understanding what people need and communicating clearly where things are headed. I think everything else will fall in line with that, including identifying and vetting what technology solutions are going to be necessary to reach that successful end result. And as you look ahead into the future and we think about the perfect law firm, knowing that perfect is probably not achievable. What does that look like to you? I think what's missing in a law firm right now are playbooks. A lot of times, that's of course a sports concept. You have a playbook for football. (laughs) A lot of times sales will adopt a playbook. How are we going to engage? What is the overall mission? What are our top objectives? What do the, the steps look like to get there? And right now, even where there is that great communication, I think that firms lack something that's a reference for everybody to to make sure that they understand and are coordinated around the same mission. So what ends up happening is you get, not everybody, but a high percent of attorneys that kind of operate independently within a firm. And then you have really more of a conglomerate of independent attorneys, as opposed to a cohesive, unified law firm that can present out the same consistent message to the clients across their community and the industries that they work in. And so I feel that the perfect law firm would take advantage of that playbook concept and unify everyone around the same messaging and mission. I love that. Absolutely love that. And you stole some of my favorite words uh, describing what law firm should be like there. Wonderful. And then from a client experience point of view, what do you think it's different in 10, 20, 30 years time. So I walk into, I approach a law firm as a client. Uh, what is my experience like in the future? Does it differ significantly? Is it the same? Do they know everything about me? Well, what do you think? So I, I'm smiling as you say, walk in, because yes, I agree not <laughs> walking in. Yeah. I do think that a lot of the commercial real estate currently is going to end up being residential urban real estate. And that we're going to see more virtual interactions and there's still going to be a need for the human understanding and relationships. So I believe that's going to come in with marketing. I think we're going to see a rise in marketing and the creation of events that will bring people together to to build relationships outside of the heavily virtual interactions that they'll have on a day-to-day basis and, and keep those relationships strong. I do also believe that there will be, because of 
the capabilities of technology and the work that many firms are doing to create maybe their own data lake or integrated systems of data where you can discover easier and share easier information about the client and about experience that you have around that client. I do think that there will also be a broader structure where folks within the business beyond just attorneys are beginning to engage in strategic ways with clients, as opposed to having uh, one main partner attorney that really focuses on client engagement and passes work and and information to everyone else. I think that conduit uh, structure is going to shift from a one-to-one to to a many-to-many. And then for anyone who is wondering what a data lake is or data lake um, or any of those related terms, have a look at Fringe Legal 59 in the newsletter uh, where I define those. All right. And then wrapping up, so you have this uh, database of 500 plus companies across a whole spectrum of different solution sets. What are some of the trends that you're seeing in the market? Are you seeing a particular new verticals or segments propping up? Yeah. Curious to hear hear your findings, especially with so much data at your hands. We're seeing platformization. So a lot of partnership or adoption of other solutions, maybe through, through merger or through alliance, so that solutions can integrate across a workflow. And that is exciting in many ways because it opens up new opportunities. The concern is that a platform is not always the best value. It may not be best in class in all areas. It gets harder to leave when you've put everything into uh, one vendor relationship. And so it, it can be important to make sure that you are getting solutions that match your requirements on all fronts, as opposed to something that can serve your requirements across a broad range. And it'll be interesting to see whether that um, play is successful because what's also happening is more of your low code, no code solutions are proliferating into the market to say, you don't need to have a platform. We can help you integrate your best in class solutions and create your workflow easily. And that's really an area that I'm intrigued by and watching currently. Um, We will see whether the low-code, no-code solutions reduce the need for that platformization. But right now, many companies are moving towards a broader platform and creating a unified workflow around attorney work. Yeah, and and that's really interesting because law firms especially are already used to platforms, if nothing else, through Microsoft, because Microsoft over time has become the core structure of what a law firm has to focus on. And as firms are moving to the cloud, that becomes even more embedded with O365 and Teams now and a lot of other technologies. And then you don't know this, but I am absolutely bullish on no-code tools, not for the same reasons that you said, actually, for a whole host of other reasons. And one of the reports, which I produce on a quarterly basis that will be coming out soon is on low code, no code. Yeah, I think we can definitely have a much, much longer conversation on that, but <laughs> I will share that with you once that's out. I would love that, Ab. I'll take a look for that. I think that it will be exciting to see the evolution regardless of the result. Yeah, absolutely. All right. And as that chime goes off in Lee's background, I think we are getting to time. Lee, thank you so much for coming on. I'll link to your article in 
the show notes or wherever you are listening to this podcast, look out for Lee's article. And I think I'll also link to your profile on, on Incubaker so people can get in touch with you via that. But if you want to direct them anywhere else, if people want to get in touch, where, where's the best place? Absolutely. I encourage folks to reach out via LinkedIn and I'm very interested to continue conversation. So I thank you for the time today, Ab. Thanks, Lee. So that's it for today. I hope you enjoyed listening to that conversation as much as I did recording it. Before you go, if you like the show, then I know you'll love the Fringe Legal Newsletter. It's full of interviews, articles, and reports to help legal innovators like yourself learn how to put ideas into practice and find success. You can sign up for free at fringelegal.com. The show was produced for Fringe Legal by Abhijat Saraswath. A special thanks to our guest. And if you enjoyed the conversation, you can help me out by giving this podcast a five-star review and click that follow or subscribe button on your favorite podcast player of choice. Until next time, stay well.